Um, now, for the next few weeks, um, we're going to be following um, the, the lectionary, at least in terms of, of reflections, instead of what, of, of as reflections go. Um, we are going to be, to be, see, you know, uh, we often think of Easter Sunday as, as the culmination. We, we, tend to, we tend to think of Easter Sunday as, as kind of like the end of a cycle, if you will, or at least the end of the season of Easter. Um, but actually, Easter Sunday is not the end of season of Easter, but it's actually the beginning of season of Easter. And that is what traditionally has been been called um, Easter tide or or the time of Easter. See, actually, Good Friday is the end of the season of Lent, uh, and then of course there's this Holy Saturday there in between as this time of waiting, and then Easter Sunday, where it does is that it opens this new season in in our church, and that's the season of Easter that actually lasts 50 days up until Pentecost Sunday. So for the next few weeks, we are going to find ourselves in the season of, of Easter, on Easter tide. Um, and this season is a season in which we reflect, what does it mean, what does Easter mean for the rest of our lives? That's basically what it, what it means. See, um, we're going to be reflecting on what does it mean to, to live the reality of Easter, of resurrection in our lives. So basically, the question that we're going to be asking ourselves for the next few weeks is this. What does it mean to live resurrection life? To live the truth of the resurrection in such strange times? Now, when I say strange times, I think we all know what I'm talking about. So today, as we begin to ask this question, we are going to be anchoring in John chapter 20. Again, this is the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. And this is the passage that comes right after the story of the resurrection that we read last week. So again, this is John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them the hope and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive, forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to, to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have seen and yet have believed. 
And we can stop there for today. And, and, <clears throat> and of course, the passage goes on, and we are going to touch briefly at the, the very end of the Gospel of John. But, but there's a few things in this passage. Um, and, and, and of course, for good, for good reason, oftentimes when we talk about this passage, our focus tends to be on Thomas and his doubting. And countless sermons have preached about it. And, and I think there, there is something to say, Thomas and his request. But, but I, I do think that that doubting, that that, uh, that um, episode there makes a lot more sense. It actually seems a lot less outrageous when we consider the rest of the passage. Um, and as we usually do here in SEC, try to put the figure of Jesus at the center of it. So first off, what is the scene taking place? Well, the passage tells us that it happens in the, in the night of Easter Sunday, night of the first day of the week. Notice how the passage begins. Now, a lot has already happened this Sunday. Jesus has resurrected early in the morning. He has appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, as we saw last week. Now, one thing that I find interesting is that, is that Mary Magdalene's announcement, her witness of the risen Lord, did not convince the rest of the disciples. Just as the other disciples' witness did not convince Thomas. See, the empty tomb seems that for the larger group of disciples is not a sign of resurrection, at least not yet, but a source of mistrust, and they start mistrusting each other's disappointment and fear. And ultimately that leads them to gather in a locked house. See, and if there's something that we have learned during this past year, I think uh, part of it has to be that, that in these uncertain times, how easily those things like mistrust and disappointment and fear can take grip of our hearts. See, now we're intimately familiar with words such as lockdown, that were simply not part of our vocabulary a year ago. So what message does, does John's story gives us as we experience this uncertain time? What does John's story what message does John's story give those that are gathered in a locked house for fear? And the, if, the, the message, simply put, is this, that on the, mess, on the evening of Easter Sunday, Jesus appeared, standing among the disciples in a locked house, and says, Peace be with you. One thing that I find particularly interesting is how little time it takes Jesus to go looking for his community, to go find his people. He has just resurrected in the morning, and by the evening, he's already on the way to meet with his friends. Now, this phrase, stood among them, actually has a sense that it's not only that Jesus is, is among them, but, but that he's actually in the middle. See, when we read this, Jesus stood among them, the image is that Jesus is standing right in the middle of it. Jesus is at their center just as he was in their middle when he washed their feet, just as he, he was in the center of those being crucified three days ago. So in the midst of our lives and, and, and its challenges, with all its busyness, with all the uncertainty, and all that means to be alive in the year 2021, I wonder, do we have a sense that the recent Christ is in the middle of all this with us. How, am I, how might we participate in centering in Jesus during this time? 
let me put it this way. How might we actively welcome the Christ who longs to come and be in the middle with us? See, Jesus never dismisses our fears or our doubts, just as he didn't dismiss the fears and doubts of the disciples. But instead, instead he comes to us, he stands in the middle, and he speaks, peace be with you. This word peace is what ancient Hebrew will refer to as shalom, as God's wholeness. See, the word shalom means more than simply peace, at least more than in the way that we might think about peace. It means, it means wellness, it means wholeness, it means completeness, if you will. Notice how the very first words that Jesus tells them come as a gift as they're gathered in a house, afraid he comes and said, peace be with you. Shalom. See, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is not there nor here to criticize or to judge. He's not there to present a burden, but he is there to offer his blessing, his love, his wholeness. And whatever you are in this journey we call life, whatever we, you may be experiencing or feeling today, whatever anxiety the new regulations and rules are bringing to you, know this, John, uh, Jesus, sorry, longs to be in the middle of all that with you. To stand in the center of your life and offer his peace, his love, his, whole, his wholeness. He's not anxious presence. He wants to speak peace into your life. Now, of course, the question is, why is it that Jesus can even remotely think that he can relate to his disciples? And by extension, to what we are going through. How is it that Jesus can even consider that he can offer his peace to us? Again, verse 19, Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his sides. See, Jesus, is, Jesus knows where fear and hatred and anxiety look like. Just a couple of days ago, he has experienced the consequences of what the worst parts in us can be and do. And with this knowledge, he speaks peace. There's no passive aggression in Jesus. Jesus wants to be seen as he is. He freely shows the way that we have to him. Jesus wants us to know that he's alive and present and real. He wants to make sure that we know that this is not the apparition. This is not illusion. This is he himself, the way that he been treated. And what is the response? How do the disciples respond? Again, go back to the passage. After he said this, and he showed them his hand his, and, his, and his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Joy. Resurrection joy. See, it's only now that Jesus has brought them to this place. They have gathered in fear, mistrusting the accounts of each other. They're discouraged. Jesus appears in their center, speaks peace through the, to them. He presents himself as he is, and now they experience joy. And now that Jesus has helped them come to this place, it is now and only now when the disciples are ready to, to, to receive, to hear Jesus' task, his invitation. 
So first the blessing, peace be with you. And now it's an invitation. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Sending you to do what? Well, to live that out. See, that, that resurrection joy that they had just come to know, that joy that they experienced, that peace that has been spoken into their lives. Now they are to go and live their lives with that knowledge, to go and bring peace, that forgiveness, that peace, that justice, that compassion, that wholeness, that shalom that Jesus offers to others so that they might experience the same joy as well. See, I miss the fear the peace that Jesus gives will enable them to go out. Just as God has sent Jesus, he sends them, he sends us into the world, promising the Holy Spirit. See, if Jesus came to take away the sin of the world, now he's tasking them, he's tasking us to continue that work of forgiving and peacemaking through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the way Jesus empowers them, the way that Jesus in the Gospel of John delivers the Spirit is intimate. Notice what it says, Jesus breathes the Spirit onto them. Imagine how close was Jesus to them. He was certainly not wearing a mask. How close Jesus must have been for this to happen. See, it doesn't say Jesus blew the Spirit on them, but breathed it. See, after everything that has happened that Sunday, from Sunday early morning now until the evening has come, after everything that they have experienced so far, then and after everything that they've seen and hear Jesus do, now it becomes obvious, this reality, the reality of the resurrection and the life that they are to live in this light cannot be kept in fearfully, timidly. See, that resurrection joy that they are come to experience has to be unleashed. That brings us to Thomas. See, jazz musician Miles Davis is, is said to have said, it is the notes you don't play that make the difference. In, in other words, music is the, sp the spaces between the notes that are just as important as the notes themselves. Imagine a song that you like, imagine the, the, the chords that hang for a little bit longer, imagine the silences just before the crescendo. This is what Miles David is saying. In music, the spaces between the notes are just as important as the notes themselves, because without silence, music becomes noise. And I think this also rings through true in the light of the passage. See, I would like to invite you to note the space between verses 25 and 26. Verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands on his side, I will not believe. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Notice what is going, notice that there's nothing there. Just, just time. We are not told what the response to Thomas' incredulity was from the disciples. We don't know if they said anything at all. We're not told what happened during that whole week. All that we know is that Thomas doubted, and then there was silence. Now, strangely enough, the disciples who saw the risen Lord and rejoiced are still in that house with doors locked a week later. So Jesus comes and stands in their center once again. 
And he says the same thing once again. You know what's interesting about, about this, this part of this passage is that this is basically a do-over. This is basically John repeating himself. himself. This is the exact same words, this exact same scene. Now, of course, the question is why? Why a do-over? Why to repeat this? Why does Jesus come a second time? Did he forget something? Is there anything that is different in this second occasion? And really, there's only one thing that's different in this scene from the one that we just previously read. The Thomas is there. See, Jesus shows up here specifically for Thomas' benefit. You remember the whole talk about the shepherd going, looking for the one lost sheep and leaving the other 99 behind? See, this is Jesus being that shepherd. He knows that what, what Thomas needs this. He knows that he needs this. He, he knows what Thomas is feeling, just like he knows what you and I are feeling. And he knows what Thomas needs, just like he knows what you and I need. And he and Jesus is here, is there to provide. See, he doesn't want a single sheep not to, to not experience the care of their shepherd. There is there's no, no judgment here. There's no burden here. There's no criticism here. There's no passive aggressiveness. Only love and grace and peace. Shalom. Shows up for Thomas Benefit and said, here I am. Just what you needed now. And then John takes, takes a break, if you will, and he t turns toward the camera and breaks the four wall, fourth wall and says, And Jesus provided far more revealing signs than the ones written down in this book. And these are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. See, somehow of his, this many other signs in verse 30 implies that what Jesus has just shown, his body broken, is a sign. In, in John's narrative, in his whole gospel, seeing signs is closely, closely related to believing. Jesus himself said early, unless you see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. And this represents the position that Thomas and the rest of the disciples have been found themselves in. So, are we to think then that, that Jesus' physical wounds and scars are to be taken as a sign? See, resurrection belief challenges us to see life in the marks of an excruciating death. Challenges us to see life around us in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of our pain. I think it's interesting that that part there that translates, that, that says that those things were written down so that you will believe. If you're, if you're following in the NIV, you're going to notice that there's an asterisk there, and then when you follow the asterisk, it's going to say, or continue to believe. See, on the second Sunday of Easter, what is written in the Gospel of John's calls of attentions to the fears, to the wounds, to the traumas that we might experience in our lives, just as Jesus experienced in his 
just like the disciples experience in theirs. But John invites us to see the life that Jesus has given to the world, to each and one of us in the midst of those wounds, of those pains, of those fears. Jesus' story goes on to, to recount the disciples' returns to their disciples' return to Galilee again. But most significantly, it reminds us that, that the risen Christ appears to them one more, and then that the, the writer reminds us that the message of resurrection is ultimately a message of comfort and peace. Comfort and peace for the troubled and wounded hearts of us, of our troubled and wounded hearts, that today, that tomorrow, our pain, our fear, our doubt, our anxiety, our mistrust, or hatred will turn into joy, into peace, shalom, wholeness, that now we are invited, we are invited to bring that joy, to live the, that resurrected, resurrection lives, to live out Easter for the benefit of those that still need to see. And with that, we come to the table.